Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Today is Saturday, December 21st, 2019. On this day in 1978, police obtained a second search warrant to enter the home of suspected serial killer John Wayne Gacy in Cook County, Illinois. What they found in a crawl space underneath Gacy's house remains one of the grisliest crime scenes in American history, a secret graveyard of teenage boys. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering John Wayne Gacy's drunken confession and investigators' subsequent search of his Cook County, Illinois home. Now let's go back to Chicago in the earliest hours of December 21st, 1978. By 1 a.m., Sam Amirati and Leroy Stevens had been listening to their client, John Wayne Gacy, drunkenly slur on for hours. They were his lawyers. He had filed a $750,000 civil suit against the Des Plaines Police Department for their constant surveillance and harassment. The trial was set for the next day. Amirati and Stevens had assumed their meeting with Gacy would be about preparations for court. They couldn't have been more wrong. Upon his arrival, Gacy had asked the lawyers for alcohol. Amirati supplied him with a bottle of whiskey. What ensued was a meandering, macabre confession of murder. The lawyers listened as Gacy pointed to a story in the Daily Herald about a missing 15-year-old boy, Robert Piast, saying, this boy is dead, he's in a river. Gacy went on to tell them that he had been the judge, jury, and executioner for countless people. Then Gacy described in sporadic detail how he murdered young men and buried them under his house. Gacy told his lawyers that many of them were male prostitutes, but he would handcuff all of them and give them what he called the rope trick. He would slip a tourniquet around their necks and strangle them to death. Gacy claimed that he would often wake up to find strangled boys on his floor. Whether his alleged memory lapse alluded to his drinking, dissociation, or both is unclear. Mid-confession, Gacy fell into a deep sleep. Amirani seized the opportunity and arranged for a psychiatric evaluation of Gacy at 9 a.m., when Gacy finally came to, hours later, on the morning of December 21st, 
Amaranti and Stevens told him that he had confessed to the murder of roughly 30 people. They insisted he attend the psychiatric appointment they made for him. Gacy, however, refused. He told them that he couldn't think about that right now. He had things to do. Gacy hopped in his car and drove to a Shell gas station nearby, the police on his tail as usual. He handed a bag of marijuana to one of the attendants, a young man named Lance Jacobson. Gacy allegedly told Jacobson that the end was coming for him. Gacy drove on, praying the rosary in his car. His next stop was at the house of a fellow contractor named Ronald Road. Gacy wept while confessing to Road that he had killed 30 people, give or take a few. He seemed to be saying his goodbyes to family and friends. He even stopped by the Mary Hill Cemetery where his father was buried. Meanwhile, the Des Plaines police station was waiting on a second search warrant for Gacy's house. They'd already combed through the residence on December 13th, but they couldn't find anything that linked Gacy to the disappearance of Robert Piest. What they did find terrified them all the same. Articles of clothing for young boys, a syringe, a pistol, a high school ring, as well as literature on pederasty. With his prior arrest record for sodomy, these discoveries were enough to place Gacy under the 24-hour surveillance that became the basis for his civil suit. Gacy had tried to use kindness to throw officers off his scent. On one occasion, he invited his watchers inside for coffee, but his tactic backfired. One of the officers noticed that when the heat kicked on, a foul odor rose from the vents below the house. This, combined with recent information about an employee digging a crawl space under the house for Gacy, allowed police to apply for the second warrant. As Gacy drove around saying his goodbyes on December 21, 1978, police were still waiting for approval on that warrant, but they were afraid Gacy's odd behavior meant he was planning to commit suicide. They needed to get him into custody. Thanks to his interaction with the gas station attendant, they had an excuse. They arrested him for the possession and distribution of marijuana. Then at 4.30 p.m., with John Wayne Gacy in custody, Judge Marvin J. Peters granted the second search warrant of Gacy's home. Three dozen officers rushed to 8213 West Summerdale Avenue. When they pulled the trap door to the crawl space, they found that Gacy had unplugged the sump pump, likely hoping that the flood of water would thwart their investigation. It didn't matter. It wasn't long before officers Tovar and Kautz found a television and radio set in Gacy's bedroom that matched the serial number of a TV belonging to a missing boy, John Zick. Police also found wallets, jewelry, plywood stained in blood, and IDs of teenage boys in the garage and workshed. In the rec room, they found a foot-long vibrator encrusted in fecal matter. 
Once the water had drained, an evidence technician entered the crawl space that reeked of sewage. Within minutes, he found brown hairs and flesh that had decomposed for long enough to resemble lard. Then he found a human bone. The little flesh attached turned gray when exposed to air. The evidence technician commented that he thought the crawl space might be full of kids. And he was right. Coming up, John Wayne Gacy faces the consequences of his crimes. Now back to the story. On December 21, 1978, police went into John Wayne Gacy's house looking for clues to the disappearance of a boy named Robert Piest. They didn't find Robert Piest or his body, but they found more than enough evidence to charge Gacy with murder. The following day, Gacy confessed to the murders of 33 people. His victims were all young white teenagers and men aged 15 to 20. Though his first victim was stabbed, the rest were all asphyxiated. His crimes were heinous and sexually motivated. After luring the young men to his home with promises of a job or money, he would handcuff, torture, rape, and then strangle them to death. Gacy even drew a map of where to find each body, and he wasn't lying. By December 29th, 27 bodies were excavated from Gacy's property. Nearly all of them were exactly where Gacy had indicated. As for the missing corpses, Gacy explained that after running out of space under the house, he began to dump his victims in the Des Plaines River. Robert Piest was among the bodies he disposed of this way. Gacy even admitted to spending the night next to Piest's dead body. What made Gacy's crimes even more chilling was his role in his community. He was a successful businessman and involved in local politics. He helped throw parties and events for the community. He was the director of the Polish Constitution Day Parade. Among the items police found in Gacy's house were photos of Gacy shaking hands with First Lady Rosalind Carter and Michael Anthony Belandic, the local mayor. Similar to Jeffrey Dahmer, Gacy proved that even the most evil men can be hiding in plain sight, even right next door. And of course, John Wayne Gacy moonlighted as a clown. He attended local events, parades, and children's parties as his alter ego, Pogo the Clown. It allowed him close proximity to children. And though most clowns painted their faces with soft, curved lines in order to not scare kids, Gacy painted his angular with a wide grin, which is absolutely terrifying, if only in hindsight. On March 13, 1980, Gacy was convicted of 33 counts of murder and sentenced to death. He tried to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, but the judge didn't grant the request. 
Gacy would also file numerous appeals and would later maintain his innocence in all of the murders, blaming them on business associates who had keys to his house. But no one was convinced. After 14 years on death row, he was executed by lethal injection on May 9, 1994. His final meal was Kentucky Fried Chicken. His final words? Kiss my ass. Today, 27 of Gacy's victims have been positively identified. Six of them remain buried in graves marked, We Remembered, along with the date they were found. Cold case investigator Detective Jason Moran and Sheriff Tom Dart of Cook County's Police Department are still trying to identify these unnamed victims. Their bodies were exhumed to extract DNA. The investigators then put out a call for anyone who may have had a family member disappear around the time of Gacy's murder spree. In 2011, their work identified one of the victims, 19-year-old William George Bundy. In 2017, they were able to identify another, 16-year-old James Hawkinson. Though harrowing, Moran and Dart's discoveries have given closure to families who wondered about the whereabouts of their loved ones for decades. Unlike his victims, Gacy's legacy lives on in film, television, and books. He has remained one of America's most notorious serial killers, John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more information on John Wayne Gacy, check out our episodes of Serial Killers that delve deeper into the investigation. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Freddie Beckley, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Connor Sampson, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson.